happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. You know, we really appreciate you being here. Coming up on today's show, Eugene Berryman has some words for Marvin Vittori. We've got a heavyweight clash that's about to go down in the UFC, and it looks like we're going to get Usman versus Covington Part 2. I promise I'll get to all of that shortly, but I want to begin today's podcast of course by talking about the other big event we've got going on this weekend. Two days. Two days before the fight, Logan Paul finally tells us why he's fighting Floyd Mayweather. And we all, we've all we all been wondering it. Why are we here? Why are either one of you here? Why is anybody showing up for this? Just tell us. We'll eat it. We'll take. We'll suck it right down. Logan finally did just that. He told us he's fighting Floyd because it does not matter if he loses. He said that. He said, I'm in a no-lose situation. I'm going to go out there. I'm a big kid. I'm just going to go have fun. The whole thing seems surreal, and until I'm in there with Floyd, I don't even believe this fight is going to happen. I'm big, strong. I'm on weight. I'm on, I'm on point. I'm going to break him down medically. I mean, he slipped in some terms that he's learned from some real fighters over the years. But he openly told us that he's here so that he can lose and have it not matter. That's tough. That's never been done before. And that approach has never been done in a main event spot in the history of this sport before. And I'm very open to the experiment that we're doing. I even like the big name entertainment era that boxing's in. I got room for all of it. I got room for boxing, I got room for wrestling, I got room for MMA, I got a little bit of room for all of it if it's done right. This was one of the bigger misses I've seen in the entertainment era of boxing. We have to be here for something. Something has to matter. It could be prestige, it could be a little bit of money. Vendetta is always good. Personal grudge is always going to work the best. I don't suggest that you manufacture. If it's not real, don't, don't, don't pretend that it is. We're going to see right through that. But now you've just said, I'm just a big boxing fan, and this guy's my hero, and I'm going to go let him beat me up. I got 50 pounds on him. I think the beating would probably hurt less than it was somebody my own size. And when I fall down, nobody's going to be surprised because nobody expected anything from me anyway. That's not a reason. And boxing isn't going to help you, by the way. The sport of boxing that's got a left hand and a right hand, that's not going to help you to tell a story. Sport of boxing that is so boring, its own announcers get a paycheck if for the first four or five rounds, they'll sell the viewing audience on the idea that there's a feeling out process. There's no feeling out process in boxing. There's just two guys that aren't out there doing anything. So the sport of boxing, in all fairness, because MMA is guilty of it too, guys. The punches and the kicks aren't enough. I'm telling you the left hand and the right hand isn't enough. Don't think you're getting this from some MMA guy. I'll be the first to tell you a punch and a takedown, a guillotine and a double leg isn't enough. There has to be a reason why we are here. We're seeing organizations that pop up and they go away. And the story gets quickly told they weren't as good as promoters as Dana White. But the story is being told a little bit too quickly. Because the same process isn't being followed. Dana puts on meaningful fights at all times. There is a meaning There is a reason we're here. There is a built-in mechanism that overlays everything that Dana does, which is championships and or championship contenders. He has that built-in. He's never broken away from that narrative. The couple of times in his life that he went out to have some fun, the James Tonys, the CM Punks, the couple of times that he went out to have some fun, the media turned, they picked up on it, they seized on it, the own locker rooms turned on, what are you doing? This isn't how we do things here. Look, in 21 years, he's had fun twice. Other promoters tried to do it all of the time. Whoever is promoting this fight, and I have to leave it at whoever is promoting this fight, I would say the person's name, but the person who's promoting this fight is either so poor at promoting fights, they can't get their name out there, or they're so embarrassed of this fight, they just don't want their name attached to it. Do you guys know? It's a true question. Do you know who's promoting this fight? I don't. I know that all of Floyd's fights for a period of time were done by Showtime, but I don't think that this one is. I know one of the Paul brothers was interviewed during a Bellator event, but I think that was Jake. I don't know who's putting on this fight. But whoever promoter of any fight is, and that can be any fight, has one job, and that is to tell a story. 
You pick the production company, they'll put where the lights are, they'll put where the ring goes, they put where the sound and the audio and the, and, and the girls with the big cards walk around at. That's a totally different deal. I'm talking about the function of a promoter. The function of a promoter is to tell a story. The big fights will have a good story. That's it. Oh man, this is a really big fight. I can't wait. That means you really like the story that's being told. I've never known this one. I'm a storyteller. I'm over here in front of a camera trying to tell you a story. I've been begging for weeks that somebody tell me the story. I just had the principal actor of said story tell me what it is. That he's a little kid that gets to go to Disneyland. He gets to go ride the, the, the Floyd Mayweather ride. Until he comes around enough times and somebody gets kicked off and somebody else with the ticket gets to get onto the same ride and then he gets to get back in line again. He just told me what this is about. Why would I want to see that? And I might be personalizing these too much. I mean, there is some walks of society that want to see somebody get beat up. That makes me sick to my stomach. I can remember as a little kid, two guys on the playground, everybody's trying to encourage them, but one kid didn't want to be there. I hated that. I hated that for that scared kid that didn't want to be there. When you're in the, when you're in the world of combat, it, it, it's a totally different deal. It's a totally another way of being handled. There's a reason why a commission didn't sanction this. There's also a reason where you could find a commission somewhere to sanction this, but it would have to be from Paul having a dream, having a goal, having a level of effort that he at least sold them on, whether he possessed it or not. He would come in under oath, raise his hand, swear up and down, he trained and he's prepared and he's ready to take on old man Floyd Mayweather, who he outweighs by 50 pounds, which is the most compelling thing of this fight, but they're not talking about it. Easily, the most interesting thing of this fight is the two numbers, and numbers don't lie. First is the age number, and second is the weight number. Will it matter at the end? Absolutely not. It won't matter at all. It is going to be a massacre. But we still don't know what you're expecting from Floyd, right? Floyd's pathological. But I don't, I don't call him a liar. I don't feel that Floyd ever owes us the truth. If Floyd wants to rewrite what happened the night Conor McGregor kicked his ass, so what? He's an entertainer. He's not under oath. If Floyd wants to come out and say, I carried Connor for the crowd, instead of saying, man, that Irish man whipped my ass and I wasn't ready for it, you wouldn't believe how many people were happy to believe and go along with the narrative that old Floyd was carrying him. Right? Nothing that any of you would ever do if you were in the middle of a fight. You would never extend that fight. And you certainly would never do anything to help your foe. But Floyd did, and you were happy to believe that it was true. Look, maybe that's the case and Floyd's shot. I don't know. Does Logan come out and hit him a couple times and scare him and shut Floyd down until Floyd does get an understanding for it and then begin to pick him apart and make him look stupid? I, I don't know. That's what happened with Connor. I mean, Connor was just too damn big for him. He was too much man. He was too much of a street fighter. Paul's a tough guy. Is he a street fighter? I don't know. Does he have the conditioning for real competition like this? I, I don't know. I was interested in finding out until he told me it didn't matter. I'll always take the guy at his word. Floyd says he's here because it's legalized bank robbery. I'm going in to do something that's a piece of cake. I'm going to leave with a bunch of money. It's just the truth. And Logan has told us why he is here. Because he looks up to Floyd, he got the opportunity, and it doesn't matter if he loses. I'll also take him at his word. But I'll come back to my words that I used one minute ago. A big fight has a big story that you're interested in. A smaller fight has a story that you're not. So Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather are apparently fighting this weekend. But as you all know, next weekend's event will be massive for fight fans everywhere. And of course, I'm referring to the rematch. Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori. Eugene Berryman, very respected coach, right? I have the foggiest idea, neither do you, anything that he has done personally as an athlete. I don't know what his background was, is what I'm saying. I don't know if he boxed, if he wrestled, if he played around as a kid. He appears to sure be a great leader of men, though. 
He's got a stable like you wouldn't believe. I don't know how many UFC fighters he has signed, but I do know that he's got the Hangman. I know he's got Izzy. I know he's got Volkanovski. Those are two world champions. You got a camp and you got two world champions in the same camp at the same time. I mean, that's a rarity. That's something very special. Excellent coach. I've heard him doing some interviews, though. Right? And they will make you turn your head and scratch it just a little bit. What code do you follow? And I thought the code was pretty simple. It was the one I followed, but I thought it was the one the rest of them did too. If you want to step in there against a guy, say whatever you want. Leave his coaches out of it because that old man's not going to get in there. The same thing goes in reverse. If you are said old man who doesn't have a license, do you talk about the athlete? I mean, it's just a very strange thing. I haven't seen it. And I don't know him well enough to know if he's a hustler and a worker because he came out with a comment earlier today where he said that Vittori is not even the UFC's first choice. This fight is not happening because of the accolades and achievements of Vittori. It's happening because Adesanya, his student, was nice enough to give a pink panty night to him. And that he knows this because he heard this from the UFC brass who was not happy with Vittori's last fight where he took somebody down and held on to him. Nobody wants to see somebody take somebody down and hold on to him. End quote. Okay, great. I wasn't there. I don't know if that happened. I will tell you this. If Eugene Berryman had that conversation with any member of the UFC, it will represent the last time any member of the UFC speaks to Eugene Berryman. The first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. So if he just did that, Allow me to be the one to explain to Coach Berryman why those phone calls never get picked up again. And secondly, do I believe that it happened? Man, that's a stretch for me. You got fight promoters that are trying to make fights. You always are hedging your bet against the other guy doesn't want to do it. Man, this Vittori sure looks good. He won five in a row. He gave your client the hardest fight he's had his entire career. Perhaps I need to downplay him a little bit and hope that it sets in with you so that I get this contract that I called you for in the first place. With a signature at the bottom of it. It could have been a level of that. Some of that gamesmanship does happen. I just didn't understand what a benefit would be to bring it out. One, you're even you're either breaking a personal classified conversation to the world, which is a huge, huge miss. To explain to you the level of stupidity you would have to have to reveal a conversation you had with somebody on the second floor of the UFC and just drop it out publicly. Okay, let's just start with that. Secondly, if it didn't happen, but you're a worker. You're out here and you're trying to grab attention to a fight that in large part is getting sucked out of the room because Nate Diaz happens to be on the card. And the reporters aren't looking in your direction the way that they should when you got the only belt on the card. Instead, they're looking to the direction of Nate Diaz and you're trying to pull some of that back. In that case, I'll stand back and I'll tell you great job. I would just encourage you to make sure that you understand in your process of doing that, you just insulted one half of the community, which is the grappling community, which historically speaking is the more successful of the two classes. But in this case, you got a kickboxer who's got the belt around him. All right. But he didn't win his last fight. And he didn't win it because of grappling. What you just insulted. The art that you just said didn't work. Which as much as you're trying to game and beg Vittori to not come do that because the UFC didn't like it. All Vittori knows is I did it and I went from a guy to a main event to a title challenger. And there was another guy around these parts who also liked to take people down and hold them there. And his name was George St. Pierre, who sold more tickets and t-shirts and pay-per-views than anybody. So I don't know if Coach Behrman's objective was to come out and leak a conversation. I hope to God he did not do that. But I also feel he did it. I think he was trying to play a little bit of chess with Vittori. I think his message that he was hoping would be heard by Vittori is this isn't what people want to see. Why? Because it's the number one thing that his own client, Adesanya, is going to have to worry about. Do any of us believe that Adesanya's got to worry about the left and right hands of Marvin Vittori? A high kick or a low kick or a calf kick of Marvin Vittori? Do we believe that? We've seen them fight once. Is that what we saw? Or do we believe that the number one thing that Izzy's going to have to be concerned with is getting his hips taken? 
getting taken down and then moreover held there. Because we just saw Vittori succeed, successfully do that to somebody in a main event and we just saw somebody else do that to Izzy in a main event. So I would trust that you have some gamesmanship here. I would be stunned if Vittori is a young and impressionable enough mind to have fallen for it. I believe that Vittori, who's already been there once, knows he needs to dance with the one that brought him, and it wasn't punches and kicks from the outside that earned him the main event spots or the top contendership spots or the rematch in this case. And sometimes we, in, when you're in a fight, you can talk about the X's and O's and you can talk the footwork and the bob and the weave and how good this lights look. Sometimes in a fist fight, you got to grab a guy and you got to throw him down. And there's been a lot of nuances come and go since they first set that cage up in 1993. One thing that has never gone is you grab a guy and you throw him down. Coming up in a moment, I'll talk about another title fight rematch that's going to happen in the near future. But before we get to that, here's a word about one of our sponsors. Guys, I got to tell you, I'm not Mr. Big Spender, by the way. I don't think you would consider Chael cheap, and I certainly won't mooch. If we go out, you get a tab, I'll get a tab. But you know what I don't mind spending money on is a good night's sleep. I truly find that to be an investment, truly. If I can get a better night's sleep and be a happier person with more energy, I can justify the covers. I can justify the pillow. It's also a one-time buy. I don't know that I've ever had to go back. I don't know how long you're supposed to keep a pillow, how long you're supposed to keep sheets, but I really don't remember sheets ever getting holes in them or pillows ever going bad. True story by myself. Now, I also like technology. Sometimes you can get intimidated by technology, and in the world of sleeping cool, this has been like a scientific game that the companies have been playing for years. Buy these sheets for a cooler night's sleep. Some guys are promising they have a mattress that is like anti-body heat absorbing, thus giving you a cooler night's sleep. Okay, fine. However any of that all works, and believe me, I've tried it all, maybe you're like me. I finally went to something called 8sleep.com, okay? Now, 8sleep.com is an actual scientific technology where you're not counting on some kind of mystery foam that has like magical abilities to wave a wand over you when you're sleeping and cool your bed. It actually cools the bed with water. You set the temperature after you set this up and it runs water through the cooling pod to whatever temperature you like. Which by the way, I control my side of the bed with my iPhone. My wife can control hers. By example, if she wanted to sleep at 88 degrees, meaning go hotter, she could. If I wanted to sleep at 55 degrees, I could. And she wouldn't be bothering me and I wouldn't be bothering her. I only offer you that because it's ran over your iPhone and this thing sets up really fast. I'm not one of those jerks that tells you to go get something. Oh, and it's so easy to sign up, but then it's not. It is. It is or I'd say it wasn't from the beginning. It's easy to sign up. They will deliver this right to your house in a box. You will take the box into your bedroom and then open the box and boom, a king size bed pops out or a queen size bed or whatever size that you would like with the cooling pod. It's got Wi-Fi technology. It literally has a hot spot where you go into your phone. It brings, it's got its own Wi-Fi device. I don't know how this works. I'm just telling you that it does. Guys, go to 8sleep.com slash you're welcome. Check out the Pod Pro Cover. You got to know what it's called. This is called a Pod Pro Cover, not just a mattress. I'm telling you about the Pod Pro Cover. You're going to save $200 for going and knowing to say you're welcome. That's 8sleep.com slash you're welcome. 200 bucks off, which I might add is pretty generous by me. Kevin Ioli's got a show. It's like an Instagrammer show or something. So Dana White was on the show and Dana White told Kevin Ioli, that Usman, Covington, part two is next for both of them. Okay. One thing that was left out is when. We don't know when. But the fact that it's been announced, the fact that Colby's been waiting, Usman didn't take a whole lot of damage, right? Probably the summer, probably towards the end of the summer. August, I'm guessing. August, September at the latest. Okay. That's not far away. And seeing that those guys are going to fight a uh, second time, can't 
help make me but relive the first time. And there was a lot going into that. I mean, Usman wasn't this huge star. He was the champion, and people were paying attention, and his skills were starting to be recognized. And then he was starting to wear some pretty cool outfits, but then he got into doing some commentary. I mean, Usman really came up from then to now, my only point. And Colby was under a lot of people's skin, and if you look at Colby's resume of who he had to fight and when he had to fight them, it appeared they were doing everything they could do to get Colby beat. I mean, it, it was one great fighter after the next great fighter. And the gap between Colby and the field was the only constant. The only thing that you saw from watching one Colby fight to the next Colby fight was Colby getting better and Colby winning easier. It, like, I mean, it was just really clear contendership. It has to be Usman. It has to be Covington. It was, it was one of those rare times in the sport where even the fellow division stood back, said, well, wait, you two go get this thing done. And we've had that happen in this sport before, but it's rare where even the division, as competitive as these guys are, as like-minded dreams and wishes and goals that they have, it's very rare when everyone, even within the division, stands back and says, this is the right fight to make. And that's what they had. With all of that said, the buildup to that fight got very personal very fast. And it spilled over. And this is all off the top of my head, but even off the top of my head, I remember surveillance footage that was leaked from what I believe to be the Palms Casino, where it was Colby, it was Kamara, it was Ali, it was the security guards. These two guys get thrown out. Not only do they not get their crab legs, they get a lifetime ban. But it was all caught on an accidental camera. It was caught on the security camera, but then that was released to the world. Point that I'm attempting to make. Doesn't get any more real than that. You don't get any more real glimpse into things than when two guys were talking about each other from, from other parts of the world who were getting ready to go meet in a cage 26 feet in diameter run into each other on accident in a buffet line at a hotel. You don't get any more real than that. And it would not have hurt that fight or the promotion of that fight one bit if they would have walked over and shaken hands and even if one of them picked up the tab for the other one. They never had to say one crossword. Wouldn't have hurt the promotion one bit for them to be completely civilized. The fact that they, they, they could not be civilized in a public setting, just let us, the audience, in on how much this meant to each of them. It just really showed us that this matters to these two guys. Reputation, standing, what you said about me, what I said about you, it mattered to these two guys. So when that fight finally jumped off, I remember being there and I was with my mother and we were watching it. We were watching it up with the ESPN group. And that building, I have never been in a more tense building in my life. People have told me that one of my fights with Anderson Silva felt that way, but I, I didn't feel any of it, right? I was locked in on something else. I'm telling you, the most intense a building I have ever been in was that night. Usman comes out. The crowd's going crazy. I mean, the people that were cheering for him were cheering for him with all passion. But when Covington comes out, it's that same passion. Covington also had the haters. The ones cheering for Usman had a passion, but the ones cheering against Usman weren't quite as passionate. The ones cheering for Colby had a passion, but the ones cheering against Colby had this same passion. I mean, there was an intensity that you could feel. And the only fight I've ever, I've personalized it, but the only fight I've ever personally been to where I could feel it in the air, where you're looking around, right? Where are the exits? What, what, what happens if I have to get out of here? Manny Pacquiao versus Marquez Jr. Part 4. You guys remember Part 4 where Marquez shows all juiced up, knocks Manny, never beat Manny, wasn't even all that close, just entertaining, comes in, got a needle in his ass and knocks him out cold. That was one intense building that I was in. And then this one. So when the fight ends up happening, generally these blow more towards the Marquez Manny. There's just nothing really to see there. Big buildup. We all got our answer. Dispute, dispute, resolution, and we all go home. Not the case, man. This was not only the fight of the night, fight of the year. This is one of the greatest fights the welterweight division has ever seen. I would argue for you this is the single greatest welterweight fight that ever happened and possibly that the sport has ever seen. It was the dirtiest fight it was the hardest 
fight. I mean, these guys were hitting and kicking at full speed. Everything they tried to do had bad intentions, right? Kamar Usman would throw a jab in Kobe's face and hope that it broke his leg. I mean, just like the, the most destructive you could be to another person, they both were to each other. Did I mention how dirty this was? Okay, then it was close. They go into the fifth round. We don't need anybody's opinion. We don't need to hear from the judges. Every person in that building knew this is two to two. It is two for Colby, it is two for Usman, and it's coming down to the fifth round. Partway through the fifth round, we have no idea who's winning. It is absolutely tit for tat because neither guy backed down. And this was a big deal for Kamara and Kamara's fame because Kamara had ran through everybody else. Even the night that Kamara became champion, just to remind you of those scorecards, but it was five rounds for Kamara, zero for his opponent. He was very good. We hadn't seen the toughness. He hadn't had to show a toughness yet. He hadn't had to show a grit. He hadn't had to show how bad does he want it. So partway through the fifth round, off my memory, I'm going to call it halfway through, but partway through the fifth round, Kamara gets a sequence. Colby goes down. Referee steps in. Colby's starting to recover. Colby gets onto a single leg, and he's just holding on. And Kamara's hitting him, and the referee stops it and calls it a TKO. That was met with a level of controversy for the simple reason that I don't know that we've ever seen a fight stopped in that position where, where one guy has a single, and whether he's being hit or not, having the single, having your hands locked around a leg is an offensive position, which means you're being offensive back. You are in control of the wrestling aspect of this, but he's getting hit. Now, the rules do say if you are hit three or more times, you're eligible for stoppage, and Colby was hit three or more times. I don't, reason I tell you this whole story, I do not begrudge the stoppage of this match. I'm reminding you that the stoppage was begrudged at the time because everything that I just told you, in addition to the contra the best fight, the dirtiest fight, the hardest fight, the closest fight, and the luxury of some controversy, this is a fight you go to the press conference and you remake that night. Moreno and Figueredo, by example, were shown that respect. They put on an incredible five-round war, had a little controversy because of the low blow, ends up in a draw, was what nobody was expecting, and Dana that night made the rematch. And that was in the wake of having the news that Garbrandt was willing to come down and take on Figueredo. So much respect was done for Figueredo Moreno that Dana made it that night. The only reason, I'm just reminding you guys of this, but the only reason that that fight wasn't made, and I'm talking about Covington and Masvidal, the only reason that was not made at the press conference that night, right then, is there was a rumor going around that Colby had broken his jaw. The rumor was started and perpetuated by the announce team. I don't propose for you that the announce team was wrong. They heard it somewhere, whether they overheard a corner conversation, whether they misinterpreted a corner conversation, or whether it was flat out said by, between Colby and his corner one way to the other, I broke my jaw. Either way, it just wasn't true. His jaw wasn't broken. Even if Colby said the words and the announce team heard it and the announce team spread it to the world, even if he said the words, he was wrong. It was a rumor. It wasn't true. My only point. My only point was Colby didn't have a broken jaw, but Dana didn't know that. The rumor had already begun. Dana's got a million things to do, gets rushed to the back, and then all of a sudden is thrown at a podium. He paid it all the compliments you could possibly pay it, but he didn't remake it on the spot. He didn't do that because he heard the one of the participants, Colby Covington specifically, had a broken jaw. It wasn't true. It wasn't true. I'm, I'm griping on this and I'm harping on this because this rematch should have already been done. This would have been one of those fights in history if we were to kick the can down the road five years, both of these guys are likely doing something else by then, and we didn't see part two, it would have been irresponsible. We would have made a mistake. We would all look back, promoters, pundits, athletes, fans, we'd all look back and go, hmm, we missed that one. Good news. 
I'm going to give Ioli the credit. Dana's the one that said it, but it was on Ioli's show. Ioli gets the credit here. According to Ioli, because Dana said it, Colbyton, Cubby, Colbyton, don't interrupt me. Colby Covington is going to take on Kamara Usman a second time. So Kamara and Colby are two tough guys who still have many more great years to give in this sport. But unfortunately, we can't say the same for UFC legend Diego Sanchez. From Diego Sanchez, and I quote, To all my family, friends, fans, and the MMA community, Thank you all for your continued love and support through this very challenging time in my life. I appreciate all of the defenses that arose for me on behalf of my career, myself, and all of those who were involved. Thank you to those who have been sensitive to this situation. I apologize to all of those that were affected negatively. I refrain from provoking this situation any longer. I refuse to fire back on accusations that the intent were made to provoke me and those close to me. Once again, my faith has taught me to love thy neighbor and love thy enemy. I wish for peace to surface moving forward. Luke 627 through 36, I will lift Joshua and Rebecca up in prayer. Prayers that God helps them find their peaceful awareness in Christ, Diego Sanchez. I must tell you guys, this is probably... The first time ever I have read a statement post facto put out by an athlete where the athlete wrote it, where the athlete genuinely wrote it. I've always felt a lack of sincerity, right? I, I remember when Tiger Woods took to the podium as though he owed the audience an answer, but his team thought that he did. And then he reads something that somebody else wrote. It's a takeaway for me. I mean, I just, I just don't appreciate it. I don't appreciate that Tiger went up there and read something that somebody else wrote and then what we're supposed to apply it to him, right? I mean, it's just a very real thing not to pick on Tiger. But in this case, I know Diego, you know Diego. Diego wrote this. And it really closes the door. It really doesn't leave any room for a back and forth. As much as the media or the community and we've enjoyed the drama and the wreck that was Joshua and Diego, it's over. And not for nothing, Joshua didn't go too far either. Joshua hinted that he was prepared to go further, but that was a negotiation. He was he was letting Diego know, you stop, I'll stop, and now Diego's let the whole world know, we stop, okay, great. What does it mean for Diego, though, as it pertains to this sport? Right? I was on ESPN watching The Ultimate Fighter just last night. I can't watch The Ultimate Fighter and not think of Diego Sanchez. They're synonymous. Bonner and Griffin stole all of the credit Diego did the same work, right? I mean, it was the exact same thing. I can't watch one without thinking of Diego, and I have to wonder, what, what does this mean for Diego and his career moving forward? It was stated by some, we don't want to work with Diego because we don't want to work with people that Diego's bringing. And athletes and people alike that have representation are very happy to say, well, they did it. I didn't say that. And if you want to have a representative, you can, but you're responsible for the stuff that they say. So as many times as an athlete or a person in general, talking athletes in this case, try to step in and separate themselves from something. If one of your people did it, you're responsible for what they did. And people hate that. The people that accept that responsibility go on to have leadership positions because that is what leadership is. You delegate, but you take it on the chin. I only bring it to you because where would Diego go now that this hatchet is buried. The answer's a little bit more complex than you might think. Because if you're a promoter, do you want to see Diego fight again? That is not a personal question of do I respect Diego's fighting and do I enjoy the talent he has? It's also a question of do I like Diego and I respect the talent he has enough to say I've seen enough. You deserve to be remembered. You were there, Diego, the same day when Bonner and Griffin stole all the credit. But you were there too. And you were there for many moments after. Do I need to see you do it again? Is the fact that you want and you're willing to do it make me a negative guy if I'm the one that has to tell you enough? It's a tough question. It's the one the promoters are going to be faced with. 
it's an interesting spot. And many fighters, I think and believe Diego to be included in this statement, will, will feel as though it's a personal attack if somebody comes out and says they don't want to see me fight again. It's not that I wouldn't watch you fight again. It's it. We've got to get the words just right here. We've seen you fight enough. That's how we want to word it. We, we've seen enough. You've given us enough. And at the same time, leadership in the community is going to have to say, look, this is a contact sport that requires immense preparation. Some of those preparations have been brought to the forefront. We see it. We don't agree with it. We don't know that we agree that you're prepared. And this isn't just for Diego, by the way. That could go for anybody. If you make your training footage very public, it's going to get judged. And there's some people that are going to judge, you're not prepared. That's not adequate training. It's not just your record or, or what you could bring or can you get a headline? Are you good for a poster? Or are you a recognizable face? There's a little bit more that goes to it. I think that we're going to see that unfold in the, in the following weeks as it pertains to Diego. But I don't know, just because we're all rooting for Diego, that we need to root that Diego fights again, which he is likely to hear the wrong way and misinterpret. It doesn't mean if you aren't in leadership that you still have to be strong and you still have to have resolve. And we'll see how this plays out. But not for nothing, as far as a PR statement goes and having the athlete who's pretending to be the author of said statement actually being the author and actually closing the door to any back and forth and doing an outstanding job, this is a grand slam by Diego. Before I head out for the weekend, I want to talk to you all about tomorrow's UFC main event and more importantly, what it means for the heavyweight division that still has a lot of questions. My official prediction for Rosenstruck versus Sakai, I'm going Rosenstruck and you want to know why? I think he's an excellent kickboxer. I'm right about that. He's got a record in kickboxing that's similar to that of Adesanya's. Adesanya, I believe, was 29-3, and and Rosenstruck was, was 27-2. and It's something along these lines, but he's also a great, big, massive guy. And not for nothing, I met him backstage, and he was nice to me. How do you like that? That's why I'm predicting him. But I do think it's going to be a stand-up battle. And I think that Sakai is extremely impressive at his ability to take a shot. Tremendously tough guy. Rosenstruck's going to win because of his ability to give a shot. And Sakai is such a big guy, and that can come in real handy or that can work against you, right? That can make you real strong and durable, and now you can take more shots. It can also slow you down. I haven't seen sl slow Sakai down. I think Sakai's a pretty damn good fighter. I think Rosenstruck's better. I want to tell you this, though, because I think more of an emphasis sits within the division. I feel like that's a bigger talking point. We're starting to see the names in heavyweight changing that are headlining shows. And if I was to ask you a question, and yes, guys, this is a John Jones piece. Yes, this all ties back to John Jones. I'm not sure why John is waiting, and I'm not certain what he's waiting for. And if I was to ask you guys a question, which is who would you rather see fight Khabib, George St. Pierre or Kamara Usman? I don't need your answer. I need you to admit back to me that, yes, that is a question. Who would I rather see, Usman or St. Pierre? And you're going to ponder it back and forth. And even if you all come to the same conclusion, two years ago, it wasn't a question. I would have sounded like a fool two years ago asking you who you'd rather see fight Khabib, Kumar Usman, or George St. Pierre. There would be absolutely no dialogue. I would barely get the question out of my mouth, and you would all be swatting back to me, George St. Pierre. It is now at least a question, which proves my point, of how quickly things change. And there is no division that is ripe for the taking like the heavyweights. None. We have no division. Look, we got a very clear four guys. We really do. We've got the Lewis. We've got the Stipe. We've got Angano the champion. We have the entry of John Jones. But it's a step down from there. And the step down, I even have the answer. It's very clearly Curtis Blades. Very clearly. 
Curtis could have, without happenstance, been in the names of the top four, but because he saw the champ twice and because he saw Lewis once, he now falls down to five. It's still a good spot to be in, but number six, it's a step down. There's nobody outside of those top names that are going to get the jump on Curtis right now. But spots seven, eight, and nine get very competitive. They're names that I wouldn't even bring to you right now. They're new and they're emerging, but there's some real talent at heavyweight. So what do you need for talent to become stars? You need opportunity. And what does this weekend show us with the headlining being a, a, the heavyweight class? That that opportunity also exists, and so now somebody has to take it. Somebody with that talent, a 7, 8, or 9, needs to take that talent and cling it to opportunity, and all of a sudden those big four names at the top aren't going to be the same four. I don't know when that day comes. You don't know either. But if we can acknowledge through the example I gave of Khabib versus George, Khabib versus Usman two years ago versus the debate that that would be now, then I've succeeded at proving my point that things change very quickly. And if you think they're just going to stay with you, they're not. They're not. This is a game you can play for X amount of time, but you don't know when that clock is up. This sport is one you'll never be done with. You will wake up one day and the sport is done with you. To no fault of your own, you never had to lose, you never had to do anything. There was just a new guy rode into town with a white t-shirt and he looked a little bit more interesting for the time being and the crowd ran over to him. It's an extremely... Uh, real thing, I'll tell you, when I was first getting my due, when I was first kind of getting noticed by people, I was getting ready to fight Anderson Silva. And it was my first time in a main event of a pay-per-view. There was a lot more media that came with it. And just as a built-in factor of being the name or the, the new face that was out there, being the guy from out of town with the white shirt, I got a whole bunch of attention. I was at the Mandalay Bay. Fight week, International Fight Week. It was their first one ever. I was over there with Tap Out. We're in a little booth. I got on my, my t-shirt, and as I leave the Mandalay Bay, my hour and 90 minutes is up that I was supposed to be there for. I'm leaving the Mandalay Bay, and it's connected by a real long hallway to the hotel, to the actual Mandalay Bay Hotel. So I got to walk through this hallway. So I come out of the expo, and people started coming up to me. Some of them had their, their phones open, and they were recording me. I, mean, I must have had seven people. I could have had as many as 10 people. I mean, it was for sure the coolest moment. I had never been a cooler guy. I had never once just been out walking around and had the better part of a dozen people run over that are total strangers and they're just trying to take a picture with me. Or It was one of these things, and I remember soaking it in. I remember really soaking this in, and they were gone. They turned their back. I had one guy was putting my arm around to do a photo. He left. He was Everybody left. And, I, and I'm turning my head going, where did they all go? Brad Pitt must have walked in the room. So now I'm curious, and there's a massive mob now. I'm breaking to you about my 7 to 10, maybe as many as 12 people. If there was 200 people, then there was 200 people around what I assume is going to be Brad Pitt. I finally look over the crowd. It was my opponent. It was Anderson Silva. But there was still a lesson in that for me. There, there was just a lesson in that of how quick that went. I went from zero to roughly a dozen back to zero because somebody cooler walked in the room. Somebody who had beaten somebody up on TV more recently than I had. Whatever the thing was, he got his own poster. He got his new bobblehead came out. Whatever it was that made them decide he was cool enough to the fact... You could have had a one-on-one -on -one with me. He wasn't stopping. He wasn't talking to anyone. He wasn't posing and doing... I was doing all the stuff that, that you would do that you think would bring fans in. Man, they left me cold. I was all by myself. I walked all the way, and I've been at the MGM, which is another place where we fight in the arena, and it's got a connection to the hotel. I've been at the MGM before where it has taken me two hours to get from the media appearance here and get down this corridor to get to the elevator to get back to my wife. Two hours. I'll move an inch, I'll move two inches, and there was a person, there was a person that... I cruised through the Mandalay Bay, and I did it only because Anderson was 30 feet behind me. There wasn't one person. They could have they ran up and talked to me. Hey, Chael, how you doing? I was still mysterious back then. I was interesting, and I would have been. I would have talked to them. I would have done it. He was refusing all of them. He'd been there, done that. He's ready to get back to that elevator base, and he knew how to do it, which is don't stop for anything. Keep on moving. 
They want a picture. They can take it as I move it in a forward direction. I didn't know these things. I wasn't a veteran yet like him. But there was still a lesson in there that I learned right there on the spot. Right there. And I never forgot it. Which is it will come, but it will go. And it has nothing to do with me or my willingness. It has nothing to do with what I have done before. There is no point in time where I can yell to the masses, I defended a belt ten times. And this guy's only defended it once. And the masses are going to side with me. They're either going to like me more or they're going to like him more. And they don't owe me an explanation as to why. They will never tell me why. But they also don't owe it to me. They can choose whoever they want, why ever they want. And if I sit and argue, no, those things are mine because I had the fastest submission. I had the fight of the night. I had the long... If I try to bring up anything that is called what's resting on your laurels, talking about I should get good things today because of good things I've done in the past, you will quickly become Al Bundy. You'll quickly be sitting on your couch, hand down your pants, hoping somebody calls so you can tell them about the time that you caught the pass in the big game. And you're just crossing your fingers, praying to God that they care. And the reality is, unless they're the one that threw you the pass, they don't. And I think that's okay. I don't think that needs to be an insult. I just think we all need to understand. Even though ESPN covers football every day... They don't always talk about Joe Montana. And he was the best to have ever done it. But he stopped doing it in the very late 80s. I just bring that to you because who did what and who did more? The Olympics is just about to go kick off. They're going to have swimming. They're going to have a ton of swimming. They're not going to have Michael Phelps. And I don't know who all's going to get in the pool in Tokyo this year. I don't know. But I will guarantee you they haven't won as many races in the water as Phelps. But we're not covering what happened. We're covering about what is happening and what's going to happen. The only two things in sport that matter. The only two things in all of sport that matter are what is happening, what is going to happen. So if you, and I'm talking about John here. But if you electively and admittingly are putting yourself in a category that is not now or future, you're out. It's the tremendous difference between St. Pierre and John Jones as it pertains to media and media appearances right now. George is not attempting to remind anybody of the night he beat BJ Penn or that he knocked out Matt Hughes. George is talking about what he's going to do now and what he's going to do next. It is the primary difference why when you go to the dirt sheets, you will find a picture of St. Pierre. And you will find a story on St. Pierre. Because the one thing that George is doing that's better and different, I have a feeling George is doing it unintentionally. I think it's on accident he happened to get this one right. But he understands, I must be, I must be in one of two categories. Now... Next. Now, I can go into either one. I can sign a fight and fall into now. I cannot sign a fight and fall into next. If I take myself out, there's just nothing they can write about. They can't. Can't say anything good about you. Can't say anything bad about you. They can't say anything about you because they have to confine to one of two pawns. Now or next. And it's a drastic difference. It's a very drastic difference. And John Jones is on a journey that I will admit I'm interested in. Like the John Jones changing weight classes is interesting to me. Getting parity is interesting to me. Change of his physiology is interesting to me. And there was a part of this when John brought us along. There was a small period of time where John would bring a camera in and he'd update you on what he was weighing or update you on what he was lifting or update you on how he was training. It was compelling to me. It kept me in the now and made me think about the future. The only two categories there are for sport, the, only, the third category, right, is the Al Bundy. But he stopped doing it. 
he largely stopped doing it, and and I don't know where that story will go. Right, it's like all stories; they come to an end. It doesn't matter how good your story is. Eventually, you turn to the last page, you close the book, and then you got to go find a new one. I mean, right? At some point, you fade to black and roll the credits, no matter how good your story is. And that was one of the things that capped off with John. He was bringing us along. He did a pretty. I thought he did a pretty good job. I thought he kept that story going. But at some point, he got to 240 pounds, or so he claimed. But he said all he was going to was 240 pounds. So the story's over. He had a mission. The 205 pounder wanted to get to 240. Then he was going to take a fight. The 205 pounder got up to 240. Well, now the story's over. The story's over if the story you're telling is that I'm John Jones and I weigh 205 pounds, but I'm going to get to 240. Hey, by the way, I weigh 240. The story's over. That's okay. You can stop. You can put that book away and see what you're going to get in residuals. And see who's going to come along and possibly find you interesting instead of looking about today and next. Or get that pen out, find a couple more pieces of paper, and write a sequel. Write another chapter. Add a verse. It's the great distinction right now between what John's doing versus what St. Pierre's doing. But you can greatly juxtapose who has gotten more media attention and who has gotten more headlines. And it would have nothing to do with who's won more fights. I would imagine George has won more fights than John, but that's off the top of my head. George goes back to like 2002, he's been beating people up, but he stopped at one point. John came along a lot later, but he went a little longer than George, as I remember it. I don't actually know point that I'm attempting to make. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who was more successful or who did what. That's Al Bundy territory. Be careful stepping in that. Be real careful stepping in that. You got to stay in the now. You got to stay in the next or you're out of sport. And it's just one of these things as I'm looking forward to this weekend's heavyweight fight. I know none of you are huge Rosenstruck fans. I know none of you are huge fans of Rosenstruck's opponent, but you might be. You might be. It might all change. You might have that day like I did, where you're minding your own business and a dozen people run up to you. But I assure you, if you do, you'll also have the experience I had, which is they'll go. It's a rule of life. It's biology. What goes up must come down. All right, guys, that is it for today's show. I hope you all have a great weekend, and I hope you get to get together with the family, eat some good food, have some good drink, coffee, whatever. Watch the fights. Just make sure you are here next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>